Well, good morning. It's great to see you today. I'm just going to start service this way, all right? I want you to come up here. This is not me, the new 40. <laughs> all right, just get a good look. This is not me. There's two of us, all right? But people have walked in today and like, I don't know, like he flew in Thursday to Chicago and then came over and we don't talk about wardrobes, right? I, don't. I came in early this morning. He came at 10, 1030. He's wearing a purple shirt too. And um, some people are actually doing a little bit of a double take. Like, um, this is not me at the new 40, all right? This is my brother Bennett and I just thought I'd have some fun with that. I introduced him as my older brother, just messing with him, but he's not. He's my younger brother, but um, this is not me. This is me still, all right? Still have the hair and all that, so thanks for being a good sport. (laughs) You know what? The sun came up today. Still the same person, right? The world didn't come to an end, and um, I don't feel any different. Maybe it just hasn't hit me yet or whatever, but uh, no, it's good. For those of you who don't know, I turned 40 yesterday, and so uh, people keep telling me things. I don't know if they're just lying to me or, you know, this is the prime of your life, and those are some of the best years of your life. So I'm clinging to those things, all right? And I guess the only silver lining I'm looking for, and we can, you can just help me out with this, is like every once in a while just tell me, man... You look good for being 40, and that'll help me a little bit, but no. Um, It's good, right? Life moves along, and a new stage, new, not a new stage, but just kind of those milestones that we mark in our lives, and so I'm good with it, and uh, here we go. A new ride, a new chapter, so to speak. You know, we are trying to capture over this next month encounters with Jesus Christ from the New Testament, from the Gospels. If to know who God is, to understand how God acts, what He thinks, even how He feels, um, what He does, the full revelation of God is in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. What is God like? What does He dislike? How does He act toward His creation? All of those things are captured in the life of Jesus Christ. And the, this, these Gospels were inspired by the Holy Spirit, recorded for us to help us to understand this is who God is. And so the encounters that we read about Jesus having with, with all these sorts of different people and his ministry and his life on earth, it's actually telling something deeper. They're recorded for, uh, for something more. And that's to help us understand this is how God acts. This is how God feels. This is how God thinks. And so we're, as we journey toward Easter, and as we especially capture that, uh, that event, the biggest event in the history of the world, the whole purpose for um, uh, really, I would say our existence is the idea that God rescued us and he rose from the dead for our victory and our new life and our eternal life. And we celebrate that one Sunday a year, right? Every Sunday is an Easter. It's a mini Easter. It's the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that one Sunday, as we kind of walk toward that, 
I wanted to just spend some time thinking about and seeing what did Jesus do uh, when he was interacting, encountering people. Last week we started with the Samaritan woman and we, uh, we recognized the fact that the truth of that story that's for us is there are no excuses not to encounter Jesus Christ. There are so many barriers in that story for the reason why that encounter should not have happened. He could have went a different way. In fact, most people went a different way, but he felt like he knew it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. She was immoral. She was sarcastic. She was ignorant. All of these barriers that could have stopped that encounter, stopped that conversation, Jesus blows right past all of them to get to a point where he could meet this person this woman right where she needed to be met and her life could change because of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and he blows right past all those barriers and that story is reminding us that there are no excuses for us not to encounter Jesus Christ like there's nothing in my life my past my present circumstances my lack of knowledge my uh um my where I came from, I didn't come from a, a Christian family, a faith family. All those things, they matter absolutely zero to Jesus. He's going to blow past all of those barriers, and he is going to be right where you have no excuse to say, you know, I just don't think I can encounter Jesus Christ. That story reminds us that he comes exactly to where we are at. That's the kind of God that we have. He is a pursuing God. And Jesus shared about that when he talks about lost sheep lost coin, and a lost son, right? God is the God who runs to those who are lost, and he breaks down every barrier. Uh, Today, I feel like if I'm kind of building toward Easter and encounters and truths and themes, today's kind of one of those outliers that I just felt like in my heart as I'm praying over this series and thinking about this series, I'm thinking, I feel drawn to this story to share, but Lord, it's kind of an outlier. and um, So I'm just going to trust that the Word is always powerful, the Word always speaks to us, but I feel like for some of you today, this story is for you. Right now, this is your present circumstance. But for others of us, this might not be where we're at today. But I'm just praying, God, allow this story to sink into our heart and mind so that I know this when I encounter something like this in my life. I remember the truth from this story. And uh, I just feel like today, um, maybe this is for someone who is... um, who is... uh, you know, in your relationship with Christ, you just keep bumping up to something. You can't get over something. You're struggling. Maybe it's with bitterness or with doubt or um, maybe it's besetting sin in your life that you just, there's a behavior or an attitude or an action that you know, um, uh, God, this isn't how you want me to live, but I just can't seem to get past it. This is for you today. This is to remind you of how we can get past it. Maybe it's for you in a difficult circumstance right now where you're not sure how things are going to go. You don't have an answer. You are pressed down by the circumstance. Like the pressure of it is taxing you, so to speak. And I want to remind you that this is a way through that, out of that, over that, whatever word works for you, this is a way 
Maybe it's um, uh, you're, you're sitting here today and you're not sure what tomorrow holds. You're not sure about your future and you don't know what to do and you're kind of maybe even paralyzed and you're fearful and you're fretful and you're full of anxiety. I would just remind you that I believe this story holds a key, unlocks a door for us to be able to rest in the present while we face a future that's unknown. And then I would like to, I think today can maybe speak to someone who maybe you are burdened, concerned, filled with maybe sorrow over the life decisions of a loved one. And you're like, I, gotta, I don't know what to do. And if, if I could throw some money at it and fix it, I'd be willing. If I could spend a time and fix it, I would be willing. If I could, I would do whatever. I just, it's, it's, it's someone close to me and they're making decisions that are destroying their life. And, and I'm just concerned about that. I think this speaks, this story speaks into uh, how we can handle that and what we need to do with that. And so um, I want to remind you of some things before I start. I just want to set a table for you with scripture. This is what Hebrews says. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Everybody knows this definition, right? Don't shake your head no. It's okay if you don't. But this is, a, this is Hebrews chapter 1. Faith is confidence in what I hope for and assurance about what I do not yet see. And he continues to write, and he says this, and guess what? This faith, this belief, this hope, this assurance in God about things that I haven't happened yet, or what I cannot see yet, what I, don't, I can't touch, feel, or this confidence is actually crucial to my walk with God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. God responds to faith. Faith is the conduit of our relationship with God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In fact, the word would continue to tell us that we as Christians live by what? Faith, not by sight. Okay? So we're starting to interact with this idea. Now I would tell you that the source of this faith is not just, ah, I think I'll reach out there and believe this about God. And I'm going to believe this and I'm going to have faith in this. And so then that's how, no, it says the source of faith. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ, right? The gospel, the word of God is what is the source of our faith, okay? But once I hear that message, the way that then it becomes alive in me and works through me and is the, the, uh, the environment in which I live is this faith in what God has said. He actually says this. Oh, for everyone born of God, believer, Christian, overcomes the world is not is not overcome by the world but overcomes the world and this is how that happens this is the victory that has overcome the world what is it even our faith so we have a little context diving into this story and the story starts like this it's in matthew chapter 15 verse 21 
Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And this is what you need to know, the context of the story. Jesus has spent a um, considerable amount of time already in his ministry. He's about two years in. One more year till he's going to be in the, at the cross. And uh, he's right in the middle of doing things like feeding 5,000 people. He's walked on water. He's uh, healed people extensively. He has been battling every day with religious people who are trying to discredit who he is. His followers, they're battling with Jesus, trying to catch him in some kind of words or story or truth that's like, oh, I told you, he's a false, he's a phony. How would you like to live like that every day? Trying to be proven to be a false phone, you know, like that would be exhausting, right? He's facing pressure. He's facing pressure from people who want him to, to be their king. They want him to start a movement, start a revolution, so to speak. He's facing pressure because he lives in a, in a, in a, in a culture where Herod is king. And Herod is a paranoid freak who kills anybody or anything who poses a threat. Like, you get starting to get popular, and Herod feels like, well, you're going to take some of my, um, so, you know, you, you might be a threat to my authority. I'm just going to kill you. And so he's living under that kind of pressure. Again, the religious pressure all day. And basically, he decides, you know what? I'm up in the northern part of Israel. i got to get away. i got to take a vacation I'm going on a retreat, I'm getting away, and I'm actually leaving the country. And he leaves the country, he, would, he withdraws to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That is outside of Israel. That is modern day Lebanon. That is crossing the border, so to speak. That's like going into Canada for a little while, okay? How many of us go to Canada for a vacation? Niagara Falls, right? I've heard Banff is incredible, I've never been there. There's places in Canada, yeah, absolutely. But that's what he did, right? He goes into Canada. He didn't go into Canada. <laughs> he goes into Tyre and Sidon. The, the whole purpose of him going is to get away, right? It's an important thing for us to remember that we just see in this the humanity of Jesus. God became flesh. He identifies with us so much that he knows exactly what you feel when you're like, I need a vacation. That's what he's doing. He's withdrawing to, to rest. And so he leaves with his disciples. And he moves across the border. And he comes into Tyre and Sidon. And he really just doesn't want to be bothered at all. And this is what happens. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. Crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This is something we're not too familiar with, right? Even though sometimes you joke that your kids might be demon-possessed, they're not, you know. Um, but listen, this exists today. And cultures and people that have given themselves to, uh, to false religions and to worshiping things that are of an evil nature. There absolutely exists a spiritual realm where the evil spirit, the demons that exist in this world, possess somebody. 
They have given themselves so much over to that, over and over and over, that they have opened their heart to evil and become demon-possessed. And uh, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a metaphor. This is not, oh, you know, like that's a movie. This is true, okay? And um, you would see through Jesus' ministry, he is running into people like this. And this woman is so distraught about the condition of her daughter's life because what happened is these people would harm themselves and they would harm the, uh, the people around them. They would do things that because the evil one comes to rob, steal, and destroy our lives, right? And this demon inside of her would cause her to do destructive things. And mom is looking on and she's just like, this is awful, this is as bad as it gets, and I'm helpless to fix this. Now, Jesus had actually done ministry close to this country. And so it would seem reasonable to think that she uh, knew, had heard about him from reputation. Because he had healed and done mighty works uh, in the northern end of Israel, close to Tyre and Sidon, before. And so somehow she gets wind that he's in this vicinity. And she comes crying out to him. What a... What an awful situation, right? Have you ever had somebody share with you the circumstances of their life and you're just broken? Like, I, I have that as a pastor where there's times when I just sit in my chair and somebody begins to spill out what's going on with them and I am so moved that I don't even know what to say. Like, it seems like, well, there's no words for this. And I, I actually begin to, to feel like sorrow for them. And this is the kind of woman that you and I would have felt sorrow for. Like just been moved by that. Would you not think that the Savior of the world, what do you think he's feeling? So the story would go, how? And Jesus heals a demon-possessed girl, and he keeps moving on. Watch this. Verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. He ignores her. How many of you read this story before? Not how I anticipated it to go. This is the guy who's going to die for the sins of all mankind, compassion incarnate, right? He ignores her. And so what does she do? She's being ignored, and instead of walking away and giving up, I don't like to be ignored. I don't know about you, but it's just rude, right? Talk to somebody and they walk right by you. Right? You ever you know the sensation of being ignored, right? It it's ugh. It's like even I'd almost rather you yelled at me than ignore me. Like you're not even good enough, right? He does this. Most of us probably would have turned away and went away and pouted. <laughs> yeah. Like been hurt. She is undeterred. She doesn't, okay, he doesn't care. She starts to yell, like start screaming repeatedly over and over and over. In fact, it gets to the point where his disciples are like, oh my goodness, we're trying to do vacation and this is so annoying. Like, I can't live with this. It's like bedtime at my house. 
Like, are you kidding me? There is no other reason to get out of bed. I hate it. It's like, it's amazing. Colby's just like, I there dreams of stuff to get out of bed. Right? It's that like, oh, send her away. Would you just do something about it? Make it go away, Lord. Just fix her. Let's get up. Let's get Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Those words are strong. She's just like not letting go. Okay? So Jesus is going to do something now. And this is how he responds. Lady, I came and was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Remember, this is a Canaanite woman, a foreigner. Actually, Canaanites and Jews, guess what they don't do? They don't get along. Long history there, remember? The Jewish people moved into the land of Canaan. It's a long history and not pleasant. And Jesus looks at this woman who's in this devastating situation, and instead of fixing it, he actually responds to her this way. Lady, I'm sorry. But my mission is to the Jewish people. You ignore me. And now you tell me, sorry, no dice. Or whatever the phrase is. Sorry. Can't help you. And the woman... She doesn't turn around and leave. She actually is more aggressive. She kneels before him. Instead of yelling, now she's like in front of him, blocking his way basically, saying, Lord, help me. Wow. What are you going to do, Jesus? Well, I'd like to tell you, it got better first, it didn't. Jesus doesn't say, oh, wow. I've healed so many other people, this, and this woman's kneeling in front of me now, blocking my way. Jesus actually responds this way. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You didn't notice about Jesus, did you? What he's saying is, and she would have understood exactly what he's saying. I'm... I have come through the Jewish people I've sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I can't take what I was supposed to do for them. I wouldn't take bread from the table and give it to the dog. So what does he do there? He tells her there's a difference. Like he equates Canaanite with dog. Wow! What is going on here? Is this really Jesus? Is this really the story of the scriptures? You don't, some of you might. We love our pets, right? And normally, when you fix food, you don't have a plate for the dog, right? Or you don't take, I'm sorry, Selah, I'm going to take this and give it to Nellie. And you're just going to have to go without, right? That's what he's saying. Man, this is like, Stiff arm. <laughs> I think I'd have given up by now. 
I get the message. I understand what you're trying to say. Not for me today. Listen to what, how she responds. Yes, it is, Lord. You're right. You don't take your kid's food and give it to the dogs. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You get this, right? I get this in my home. <laughs> Nellie has a built-in GPS. As soon as there's three or more people around that table, she knows exactly where to go. And that's underneath the table. And she doesn't leave. Because she knows it's a matter of time. I have young kids. Something drops. She snatches. And now my kids, I, you catch them like. Seriously, you do. Even Sayla, as young as she is, she's kind of picked up and she'll like just knock it off. And there's Nellie like. And it's, I'm just so accustomed to it now that if I move my feet or legs under the table, a lot of times I'm going to bump into Nellie. She's not moving. Because she's no, she knows there's crumbs from the table to eat. And this woman says, I don't care if, if you have a mission. I so am convinced that you're the answer that I'm willing to just take a crumb from you will be good enough. And this is how Jesus responds. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. This word is actually mega. Mega faith. Right? You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed. At that moment. So what are the implications of this story? What can I know? What's kind of fleshed out about this? That would cause me to move to a point in my life that I could exercise great faith. And in exercising great faith, see God do powerful, wonderful, mountain-moving kinds of things. I'm interested in that. I don't know about you. But I want to kind of see what the story is trying to remind me of. This faith that I live by, that's impossible, it's impossible to please God without. Um, uh, you know, it's obvious through Scripture, Jesus repeatedly responds to people who exercise faith. His favorite phrase is, because of your what? Your faith. It's so. What is it about this story that I can pick up on? Because if it's in my personal life, where I need to move to a, another level, take a next step, have some victory in my life, experience life change that's necessary and good. Or if I'm in the middle of a diff difficult circumstance, what's going to keep me strong? What's going to stop me from quitting? What's going to allow me to persevere, endure through that circumstance? That, that, I, need, I need that faith. I need faith to be able to, we talk about this, keep the faith, right? What is, what is it about faith that helps me to do that? 
What is it about faith that um, keeps me with a calm assurance that even though I don't know the future, I can rest in the present about my future? Faith does that. Or what is it about the helplessness of seeing a family member, a friend, a loved one, destroying their life. And I can't do anything about it. But I know that God can. And I just am looking toward Him, believing and trusting in Him to work in their life. I think this woman tells us something about how we can see this happen. And I would just share with you just for a moment a personal story. Um... I feel more freedom now. My son is not in this service. But I, you know, I, I was at a point, I was kind of a wayward kid, a wayward teen, um, uh, headlong in pursuit of my own, my own goals, right? Uh, grew up in a faith family, grew up in a preacher's home, but was always just intent on me, okay? And I'm headlong in that pursuit. I'm making decisions at 17 years old. I'm starting to you know, figure out what I want to do with my life, where I'm going, how I'm going to do this. It's all me, right? No God, me. And my parents, my mom, my dad, my mom, is just overwhelmed with concern for my life. Because she knows that once I start making those big decisions on my own, I'm headed for a mess in my life. That always happens when we take control. And she sees it, and she's, do you, parents, you know what I'm talking about? And she is just, she has gotten to a point where she's distraught. And we've, she's, we've talked about this many times since then. I had no idea that she was at this level. I mean, I, know I, I knew I was causing my parents concern. <laughs> um, yeah, there was interest, uh, yeah. But um, I, didn't, I didn't know this. But my mom starts to passionately, desperately call out to God for my life. Just fasting and praying, trusting, believing. God, please do something in his heart. Change his heart. It's going to be a mess. God, God. And in these months, like, she's praying. And she went to a... She went to an event, and she said in the middle of that event, she just knew God was going to grab a hold of my heart. And she said, Chip, that moment I knew faith took hold, and I had the overwhelming peace of God. He is going to be all right. Now, the circumstances did not say that. And actually for months, I don't know if it was a year, it might have been a year, the circumstances presented no evidence toward that. In fact, it was contrary. I'm still making decisions, I'm moving that way, and yet my mom lived with this abiding sense of peace because faith, God had told her, had revealed to her, had heard her prayers, I was going to be okay. 
guess what? It was, I think it was about six months. Six months of not seeing it, but knowing it to be true and trusting God with it. My heart changed. God did a work in me. I had no clue that she was at that point. No idea. She tells me later, right? Faith played such a crucial role in the prayers, the faithful prayers of my mom and believing and trusting, praying for me, brought me to a point where I could see the grace and the glory of God and I responded to that. So to me, this is very personal because I know it was her faith that played a part in helping me to turn to Jesus Christ. And so I would just remind you from this story, there's three things to grab a hold of about faith. I would say, first, faith's object. Lord, Son of David, have mercy. Listen, no doubt she had exhausted all of the resources around her. No doubt she had become delusioned, disillusioned with the gods of the Canaanites, the Astart and the other gods. She had tried those things and they had failed. And she became convinced and knew that the only source of hope, the only source of change was this man who was Lord, son of David. And faith is dependent upon the object that you put your faith in. What you believe in is the difference maker. It's the difference maker. Faith is necessary, but what I'm putting my faith in is what makes the difference. I can bet on myself, my abilities, my resources, my wisdom, my work ethic. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to do this. Or I can, you know, bet on somebody else. I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket. This relationship's going to make me happy. Or this connection's going to make a way for me. And this, or I don't know what it is, but I can place faith in something and it's then contingent upon the reliability, the ability of that object and what I've placed my faith in. Right? And what happens with us is we begin to trust in things that we think are going to pull us through or make a difference, and they fail. My question to you today is, what is your life? What do your actions, time, energy, and decisions say about what you are trusting in? What are you trusting in? What's your hope in? How does that hope then translate in how you're spending your time, how you're spending your energy, how you're making decisions, what your actions are? It's all based on what you're trusting in. And what happens actually for us often, even as people who uh, are, you know, Christians, is we, all, we actually begin to think, well, I, I, I'd love to see God change this in my life or circumstance or person but for him to do that i need to i need to up my performance okay i need to be solid 
I need to be faithful. I need this and that. And then because I'm that, then he will do this. Guess what happens? You end up not coming through on that. Just to be real honest. And so then, I don't know if he, I'm not that, so I'm not going to, I can't believe him to do this. Or it's like, I need him to do something great, so I'm just going to up my performance. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, just serve and give and all these things that are part of a believer's life, the fruits of a believer's life. But then I begin to trust in them as the reason why God should come through for me. Okay? And if I up that performance, if I do a lot more, then he's going to do a lot more. This woman had nothing to give. No performance, no nothing. But she had her, the, her faith was in the right object. Our faith is always centered in the person and the life of Jesus Christ. I believe in him, regardless of how my life is gone, regardless of I just am fixed on him. I would say these words, the beginning of faith is the acceptance of who Jesus really is. Great faith always has the right object. Great faith begins centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Not on you, your performance, but on him. She had none of those. She simply knew the right place to go. And going to the right place begins this. What are you trusting in? I encourage you, drop, drop your tendencies, your practices, your habits of trusting in your ability. Maybe your circumstance, favorable circumstance, your work ethic, your wisdom, your environment, whatever it is. Faith is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. She didn't have any of that, but she knew exactly where to go. And in knowing where to go, started this whole thing of healing, of life change. But I noticed the second thing is not only faith's object, faith's desperation. Think about it. I mean, you can't read this story and not say, that's a desperate woman. I mean, so she's a Canaanite. Um, Jesus is a Jew. They don't talk. They don't mix. She's a woman. Jesus is a man. They don't talk. They don't mix. We talked about that last week, right? This, this conversation shouldn't be happening. And yet, she is so desperate that she blows right past the cultural norms. Then, listen, think about the story. He ignores her. He's rude, right? She's so desperate. Her need is so great that it causes desperation that blows past him ignoring her, the disciples being annoyed by her, Jesus then rejecting her, and then Jesus, like, even as she's at his feet, he still is rejecting her. And she refuses to let go of the reality that that guy is what I need. He's the answer. Lord, son of David. 
that's it right there. That's what I need. That's what my, that's what my daughter needs. And I don't care if I'm facing these things and I'm being ignored, I'm being treated rudely, I'm being rejected. It doesn't matter. I have this desperation that wells up in me that it, will, it causes me to not let go. You see, there's a, there is a part of faith that has this bulldog tenacity and desperation that God responds to. There's a number of stories I could have shared today that, that highlight this truth. This is not an isolated incident. Faith carries with it a desperation. Now, there's two prevailing thoughts in our world. Desperation does not look good on anyone. You ever heard that? I definitely think we're saying that to our kids when they're thinking about dating, right? It's not good to be desperate. When you're desperate, you're not very choosy. So don't be desperate, please, right? And then some people or our world would say, listen, I don't ever want to look desperate. I, I'm too proud to look desperate. I have too much dignity to look desperate. That, that shows weakness. That shows a sense of I'm not sufficient, right? And so the, there's a prevailing thought out there, don't ever look desperate, don't look desperate for a job. Don't look desperate for a mate. Don't look desperate. Doesn't look good on you. Doesn't wear well. This woman realized something about life that we all need to understand. Desperation in the right things is exactly where we need to look. I love this statement by Peter Lloyd. When our embarrassment level is exceeded by our desperation level, we are a good candidate for God's grace. When I get so desperate about need in my life that I don't care what it makes me look like, I'm just desperate to see God change that. You are on the cusp of God changing your life. Because this is what the scriptures say. God resists the proud. Proud people refuse to show desperation. Can't. What, what would they think? I, I'm not that kind of person. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a humiliating thing to show desperation. And yet that's exactly where God is about ready to do unbelievable things. When we are ready to be desperate about things in our life that need his, his change. I would ask you this morning, what are you desperate to see change in your life? Have you gotten to that point? Well, things aren't going to change until you get desperate to see it change. Until you're 
your need becomes such a bother to you. Your need becomes something that you're so sick and tired of. This circumstance is something that I'm just, I'm over it. I can't live like this anymore. I can't live with this fear, anxiety. I can't live with this besetting sin. I can't live with wanting to quit because of my difficult circumstances. I can't live with doubt about the future. I just can't live this way. And I come to a point where I become so desperate to see that out of my life. That's when things begin to change. We don't like desperate. We like comfortable, right? Please don't make me desperate. And yet, the story is reminding us that in faith, in the hand of God moving in powerful ways, life-changing ways in our life, we have to reach a level of desperation. And she models that for us. And Jesus, <laughs> the last thing I'd want you to notice is faith's test. So Jesus comes off as a jerk at first. He does. He ignores her. He rejects her. He tells her that basically her people are dogs. Is he not? That's exactly what he says. Not sure about you, but that's not the kind of interview or the conversation I'd like to have. He comes off as a jerk. But it's obvious that Jesus recognizes her desperation. And he begins to allow her to face this reality of her faith being tested so that it might be revealed and strengthened. She's ignored. She's rejected. She's rebuked. All these things. In faith, God often is silent with us. He actually delays or he seemingly shuts a door at times, because he is trying to draw us in out of our desperation to a deep, deep level of I am not going anywhere. Even though my circumstances are not favorable, I am still trusting and believing that he is going to come through in this. And he allows her to be tested to reveal the depth of her faith, to allow her faith to continue to be deepened in the fact that, uh-uh, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm staying right here. Because the object is everything. And you are the answer. My question for you this morning is this. Are you willing to endure the testing that mega faith will require. What is it in your life that you need to have changed? You know God wants to change us. You know God doesn't want you to quit. You know God is, is um, uh, you need to live knowing that God knows your future and that you don't need to be filled with anxiety and worry, confusion, Again, like we talked about, maybe it's someone in your life that you're, you're helpless with. You can't fix them. And you would do everything you could to fix them, but you realize it's only God that can do that. Are you willing to allow yourself to get desperate? Are you willing 
to allow yourself to fixate on the only thing that is the answer. Not your resources, not your wisdom, not somebody, but Jesus Christ alone is the answer. And I'm fixating on him, and then I'm just getting desperate before him. And I'm allowing this need to cause in me a desperation that I can't live like this anymore. Or like we talked about earlier, maybe it's that, that part of your walk with Christ or your life that you just can't get over. That besetting sin, fear, anxieties. Can you get to a point where you just get so sick of it that you're desperate for it to change? If you can get there, guess what? If your faith is in the object, the right object, Jesus Christ, get ready. Now, he might allow you to wait. He might deepen your faith through it. He might, hey, I see you're coming to me. I'm desperate, but I'm going to develop something in you that's going to be strong. But you know what? My faith causes me to not go anywhere else, not quit, not move. I'm there every day. Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, you're the answer. Jesus, you're going to come through. Jesus, you're going to provide a way. Jesus, you're going to do something. You're going to change because remember, the whole theme of this story is that, or this series is that when Jesus shows up, he does far more than expected. Always. Always. And everybody encountered, encountered life change. Maybe most of the time good, sometimes bad. But he's a life changer. And if I can just, just stay fixed. I know he does this because Peter revealed this. When he says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But they have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God is working to develop this strong, abiding sense of faith and dependence and trust in Him that is unmoved by our circumstances, by an unknown future, by difficulties in our own life. And this woman teaches us that in encountering Jesus, this faith that is so crucial to our lives, we live by faith, not by sight. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That part of that is allowing desperation to well up in us so that we become so desperate that we are fixated on Him and Him alone, always moving, always waiting, always trusting, and not looking toward anything else. If you can get there, look out. Life change is about ready to happen. And you're going to look back at circumstances. You're going to look back at things and say, wow, you did that, God. You moved a mountain. Remember Jesus said words like, if you have faith like the size of a mustard seed, say to this mountain, be removed and it will be cast into the sea. Let's stand this morning. And again, I shared with you at the beginning. I don't know why God was working in my heart to share this. It kind of goes off the path a little bit. It's a little bit of a detour. 
but I know it's for, it's for people here right now, and I know it's for some of you that you're fine right now, but you're going to face it, and you need to remember this story, and you need to allow your heart to just become desperate before God and God alone, and to live in that desperation knowing that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble, and I'm just so desperate to, to have God work that I am moving toward him, always continually fixed on him. Let's, let's sing together as we go, before we go. Seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see it do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. I've seen you move. You've seen the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. I'll see you do it again. Father, just create in our heart this fixed, desperate faith in you. I believe that you are going to do unbelievable things in our lives because we trusted in Jesus Christ. Create faith right now in people's heart. Help them to take that next step and saying, God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to be like that woman. I'm going to be desperate. I'm not going to let anything detour me from staying at your feet, so to speak, and just knowing that you're the answer. You're going to provide. You're going to make a way. I am not going anywhere else, and I'm not going to lose faith. I'm going to continue to trust. Make it so in our heart. I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.